Welcome to the OT lifestyle movement. This is for the occupational therapy visionaries and the ones who see things differently. We're moving our profession forward through living and leading a truly holistic lifestyle. Hey, hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the OT lifestyle movement podcast. I'm Rhiannon Crisp, occupational therapist, personal trainer, and founder of otlifestylemovement.com. Today, we are diving into how people can live a meaningful life beyond their disease and their diagnosis. And we are lucky enough to be speaking with the one and only Cheryl Crow. Cheryl is an enthusiastic patient advocate. She's an occupational therapist, an adjunct professor, a video creator, and an entrepreneur. She's passionate about teaching patient tools to live a life they love despite rheumatoid arthritis. After living with rheumatoid arthritis for 17 years, Cheryl has created an education company called Arthritis Life, which helps patients navigate real life with RA that goes beyond joint pain. Welcome, Cheryl. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be on here. Ah, it's so exciting to have you here with us. And what I didn't mention in that intro is that you are quite the TikTok sensation and you're a dancer (laughs) and you're like this social media rock star. So um, thank you. (laughs) It's fun. I love social media is like made for someone like me who has no shame and who is really extroverted. And yeah, it's actually been really a meaningful occupation of mine participating (laughs) in in social media. Seriously. (laughs) Ah, oh, and you know, this is how we connect so much these days, yeah. particularly I find like OT is such a, such a small world and we can really connect and collaborate with other OTs across the world and watch what all this amazingness that they can create. And you're one of those bright, shiny stars from afar, you know, doing all this awesome stuff. You know, you're on YouTube, you're on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. I mean, I don't know how you do it all. I look at you and I think, wow, you are just so consistent with the work that you do. And yeah, it's just amazing to watch. It's a mixture of strategy and impulsivity. (laughs) (laughs) I have a part of my brain that's like thinks ahead and keeps lists. And then I have a part of my brain that like sees a funny video and it's like, I want to do that today. So yeah, I'm very um, privileged to have a lot of freedom in my schedule right now. So I'm able to make a lot of content, which is, it's been really, it's been really fun. It's been great to feel like I can demonstrate you know, the value of like true occupational therapy without having to be like doing traditional occupational therapy. It's kind of a paradox, but it's Mm. been really fun. Mm. Well, let's rewind the clock. Let's jump in that time capsule. And I'd love to hear about your story and how you came to do this awesome work that you're doing today. Let's go back to your, your personal journey. If you could share that with us. Yeah. Yeah. I I love sharing this actually. Um, yeah. So I was a very, you know, healthy child, very active I won't go so far back. It all started the day I was born. No. So, um, (laughs) I was at, I just want to paint this picture. Then you could see the whiplash of my diagnosis because so I went, I was a very, very athletic. I played on the highest level, like competitive soccer teams. And I, um, I ended up playing and being the captain of my college soccer team. And it wasn't division one in, in the USA of these divisions. It was division three, but still, you know, very active, very robust. Every day I would go running and or lift weights. And but something happened to me slowly over a couple of years in college or my undergraduate um, university. Actually, I was in Melbourne for three months of this. And I, I was started, I had started getting sick before I went to Australia. And um, that was my dream since I was in fifth grade to do my study abroad in Australia. And I remember talking to my parents, I wasn't feeling well, we didn't know why I started having mysterious um, weight loss, weakness, um, appetite loss, these are actually all systemic symptoms of, of inflammatory autoimmune diseases in general, including rheumatoid arthritis, but I only had one sore joint. So that is not the typical presentation. Typically you have like symmetrical joint involvement, but anyway, so I was having these issues and it was so like stressful, but I thought, you know, I don't want this to rob me of my dream of going to Australia. So I still went anyway, but, um, 
had the best time in the, um, given how poorly I was feeling. But then anyway, so I eventually, the summer between my junior and senior year, I then woke up one morning and I had, I had gone from 130 pounds to 105 pounds, which I don't know what that is like 50 kilograms or something. I don't know. Um, it was, I lost a substantial amount of weight. And of course we were going down the GI route because I was having appetite loss and unintended weight loss. So I kept, I'm like, do I have stomach cancer? Like, do I have colon cancer? We got every single GI test done. And as I now know is very common for young women with autoimmune diseases. I was repeatedly dismissed at the doctors. Um, I was not only told that there's nothing wrong with you, that I was too anxious. I needed to go to a psychiatrist and deal with my anxiety. I was a hypochondriac. Um, and my parents just reminded me of this, that they actually said, you're too close to your parents. Cause my mom would come with me to the appointments. Cause I was so weak at the time. And it was just like, it was just, they call it now, um, medical gaslighting. And I think it's a really important topic to understand in our clients like history, because what I was told basically was that you're not sick. Like you're just anxious. There's nothing wrong with you. And it was such a profoundly, um, confusing experience because like there was literally no explanation like I had no traumatic event in my life like everything was going well like I was happy at my school I had a happy I was happy in my relationship with my boyfriend I have a happy childhood like literally this came out of and I was healthy like I ate well I exercised every day like literally everything was going well and then this happened and that's what can happen with autoimmune there's not always a reason there's not always something that we did to cause it it can just they, the model that people think about now is, you know, genetic susceptibility plus environmental trigger and something in my environment, whether it, maybe I got, I don't know what happened. Um, I w wish I knew, but I don't at this point. So, um, I, this, it was happened slowly. And then all at once in 2003, it's a long story. I believe if you talk to anyone with autoimmune disease, it's usually a long story, but I'll condense it. Then I woke up one morning and I hit the, the rock bottom in terms of our rheumatoid arthritis symptoms, I woke up and I couldn't, every single joint in my body hurt. Like I couldn't undo my hands from a fist. I had to have my mom help me like twist the cap off of the milk, like to eat, like I couldn't do anything. And then, um, then, and we had actually even hired, and this has happened to other patients I've talked to. We had actually, my parents had hired a private doctor, like they, cause they believed me, but no one, none of the regular doctors believed me. And so they were like, we're going to, so I, again, I had all every privilege and I still was told that private doctor first said, you're just hypervigilant. You need to manage your stress. Like you're fixated on your health. But I'm like, what's the normal response to your body breaking down with no known cause? Like, are you supposed to just not be stressed about that? Like it was such a terrifying experience to be like, if these experts aren't going to help me how am I going to ever get any hope for like relief, you know? And I'm an optimist. Like you can tell me about her, my personality. Like I'm a problem solver. Just tell me what to do. I'll do it. But I couldn't, I, I didn't know what to do. Like I was just lost and it wasn't the internet. I mean, it was 2002, 2003. So the internet didn't have as many resources, which probably was a good thing in some ways and bad in others. But then I got my diagnosis when I had all those symptoms, all of a sudden, oh, I'd been told numerous times over the two years, um, Oh, your blood work is normal. All your lab results are normal. You're normal. Oh, wait, no, actually, we didn't do the tests for rheumatoid arthritis. So actually, your blood work does show, you know, so I'm like, well, don't tell patients that you did all the blood work if you didn't even do it all. Anyway, that's a whole side note. But I'm, I'm laughing about it now, but it truly is traumatic for, for many patients. I don't use that word lightly, but I mean, your health is, this is your survival. It's a threat to your survival if the only people who are, able to help you or telling you not, it's like your body's on the analogy I use is like your body's on fire and you call the fire department or your house is on fire. You call the fire department and they're like, they come and they look and they're like, it's not on fire. And you're like, if the fire department is not going to put your fire out, like, who do you call? Like, what are you supposed to do? So of course I was extremely stressed. And now knowing what I do about the relationship between stress and inflammation, it wasn't helpful for me to have that much stress. I wish what they could have said in retrospect is um, what you're going through is, is really hard. We believe you that you're, that, that, that there's something else going on, that this is not just 
you got stressed like literally out of nowhere um, about your body, like something is happening, we, but we don't know what it is. And so I think it would be helpful for you to talk to a counselor or a social worker or a psychologist. Like I would have been open to that, but the way it was posed to me was like, you're not really sick. Just go talk to a shrink so they can fix your brain because you're not sick. That was like, I, that's a no-go for me because like, I need someone to help me. I know something's wrong. Um, so so obviously hindsight's 2020, like I was right, I know now, but it's a very common experience I hear a lot from other patients. So it's it's a very, it's a vulnerable place to be, to be um, in, in pain and not know why. And so I think when, when your first appointment as an occupational therapist with somebody who's been through something like this, even just the validation, I've heard so many other patients say that just having a provider say, wow, you've been through a lot. And like, I understand that this is impacting your life, your quality of life, like that's just worth its weight in gold after being told so many times that you're not, nothing's really wrong with you. You're not really sick, you know? A hundred percent. Wow. What a journey. Hey. And yeah. it really does come back to this. People just want to be heard. They just yes. want their story to be listened to and to be understood. And when we can come from that place, this is where so much expands from there. Um, and if we don't have that, we don't have that rapport and that connection with our client and we can't help them get to their goal. And I'm so, you know, it's so unfortunate that you went through that for such a long period of time, not knowing. And we know that we have this innate knowing in our body. Like we know when mm -hmm. something's not right. We know when things are out of balance and for someone in a privileged position, like a health professional, not to listen yeah. and not to validate that is, is a really scary um, place to be. And I'd love to know how you went then. How did you move from that position to then finding out that you had that diagnosis? How did that shift things for you and your mental health and, and where you were at that time? Oh yeah. So I was not upset at all at my diagnosis. I was extremely relieved. I was like, oh my gosh, it went from like, you're not really sick to, I could tell, I rem I vaguely remember it, but I do remember, remember looking at her, my, this doctor that we had hired, like they call it um, concierge medicine in the U S I don't know if it exists in Australia. Our system is so messed up. Anyway, um, um, the, she was like, I remember looking at her face. Cause you know, I'm very intuitive, you know? So I'm like, and she, I'm like, she's like thinking this is like a huge deal. And I'm all I can think about is like, I was right. There's some, there is something wrong. It has a name. It has a treatment plan. I, I was like, this is great. Cause I had, again, you can't have hope or it was hard for me to have hope because of the lack of anyone telling me that they're validating that it was, there was something going on because how are you going to get a solution if no one thinks you have a problem, you know? So when she gave me that hope through the diagnosis, it was great. And the thing is being diagnosed in 2003, not to go down a long winding road of rheumatoid arthritis history, but there was a huge breakthrough in the late nineties and early two thousands with the kinds of medications available, which is why you don't see as many severe deformities with rheumatoid arthritis anymore now than you, you used to. And so what she explained to me that like these medications, like they sound scary, but like they are really going to give you like the best prognosis long-term for quality of life. And um, so I was like, great sign me up. Like there was no hesitation. Like I was in so much pain. And so I couldn't function, um, to such a degree that I was like, there wasn't any hesitancy, which I know now is most patients or that I end up talking to are, are go through a journey of like being scared of the medicine and having some hesitancy there. But I was like, I went on early aggressive medic, um, medication treatment and within three months, my whole life had changed. Like I gained 20 of the pounds back, like my whole body system, like like recalibrated because the medication worked so it was pretty quick turnaround wow and what I love what I love about you and your approach is that you don't seem to zoom in on the condition and you don't seem to take this really reductive approach to uh, 
the condition or any conditions and their underlying biology and pathology. Like you tend to zoom out and really look at the person's whole life and take this broader approach to working and educating people who have RA or chronic conditions. And I think this is really important because as occupational therapists, you know, if we see a client with a chronic condition or RA, for example, sometimes we get caught in the trap of just zooming in on that specific thing and the associated impairments and disabilities, but not looking at the ripple effect as to how that's impacting their whole life. Can, and yeah. I know you're so passionate about this. Can you talk yeah. to me a little bit about this and why that's so important to you? Yeah, yeah. So um, with rheumatoid arthritis or anything that's like a systemic autoimmune condition, y- you might have these really specific body symptoms. So yeah, like my right thumb hurts and that affects your function. But there's also this overall experience of having a... Um, I just call it a job, like managing my condition is a job that has a lot of tasks to it. Right. And so like I had to learn um, at at, at 21 years old, you know, I had to learn how to manage my health, how to manage all my medications. This is all like from the OT practice framework, right? Health management and maintenance. I had to also go on an emotional, um, social and emotional journey. I had to learn how to be a young person with this disease that, um, other people don't understand. So you'll say, I have rheumatoid arthritis. People say, oh, well, my grandma had arthritis or you, they don't understand it's autoimmune. And that's common for a lot. Like if you have lupus, a lot of people don't really understand what lupus is or ankylosing spondylitis. So there's this experience of like having a, um, a condition that affects your quality of life so severely yet seems minimized by others. Also, um, and a better way of putting it that I actually didn't learn until I was on social media is it's called an invisible disability, right? And so there are privileges afforded to people with invisible disabilities, right? I don't get, when someone looks at me, they don't see me as lesser than, or, you know, because I don't look outwardly impaired, but the downside of that is that people don't give any accommodation because they think you should, you don't look sick. You can't possibly be sick. Like there can't be anything wrong with you. You look totally quote unquote normal. So you get minimized by, by peers and coworkers. And um, so there's that, I mean, then there's the, you know, dating and relationships as a young person. um, And many people with these autoimmune conditions are, are young, you know, having to tell someone that you're have this chronic lifelong condition, learning about learning about all the different treatments and possibilities. Are you going to take supplements or do a dietary, you know, interventions, which doctors and which kinds of specialists should you even see? Should you see a physiatrist? Should you see a naturopath? Should you see a chiropractor? Should you see a uh, occupational therapist or physical therapist? Like a lot of people don't, you know, it's very overwhelming to become a healthcare patient um, for a chronic condition and so far beyond just like my hand hurts. So that's something I, I kind of, I joke on my, all of my um, channels in my head, my, t- my tagline is come for the life, life hacks, stay for the emotional support, <laughs> because <laughs> it's like, I'm hooking people in with my demonstrations of life hacks because so many people with arthritis aren't ever even taught the most basic things like about joint protection and gadgets and gizmos for daily life. But what I'm really most passionate about is providing that like emotional support for just how profoundly these diseases can, can affect our, our lives. Every, it touches every part of my life. It touched my, my family planning, my wedding. You know, I had to, I had four different pairs of shoes for my own wedding because of foot inflammation. So those first medications, by the way, to finish my own story very quickly, I took those medications and they worked really well. But the problem is, is since it's autoimmune, your immune system is kind of misguided. Or my, my friend who's an immunologist also has an autoimmune disease. She likes to call it misbehaving immune system. So you're kind of like, you're not saying it's terrible or it's bad. It's kind of like a toddler that's misbehaving. And so your immune system can outsmart the medications. It starts creating antibodies to the medications. So that happened to me, uh, that's happened numerous times over the last 18 years. So I was in what's called medicated remission for five years. And in that case, I still, I still could have used some help from the occupational therapy perspective to learn those patient, like 
we call them self-management skills, you know, managing your experience as a chronic illness patient. But I didn't need as many, many of the kind of fatigue and life hacks um, interventions because I didn't have a lot of symptoms. I still had to manage the disease, but not the symptoms. Um, and then, but after that point, um, there's been a lot more ups and downs. So learning how to cope with that, getting validation that it's okay that you're having these ups and downs. You're not failing as a patient if you have those ups and downs. It's just worth its weight in gold. See, I just think there's so many ways occupational therapists could be serving this population that I don't hear a lot of people saying that they're doing it. I hear a lot of people saying, oh, I thought OTs are just utilized for splinting, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, that just breaks my heart, you know? And I know, and I ask patients all the time, my work experience was all in pediatrics prior to starting Arthritis Life in 2019. So um, I actually tried to separate um, I wanted to go into OT. I didn't have any idea when I went into OT school, I was going to learn so much that would help me with rheumatoid arthritis. I went to OT school because I wanted to work um, with children with special needs. And so um, I started volunteering for the Arthritis Foundation at, at events and just doing really quick little talks. I'm like, here's my favorite gadgets for arthritis. And then I would also give some self-management strategies and stress management. And people were like, oh my gosh, no one's ever taught me that. Like literally about the most basic things like a jar opener. They were just so empowered by just having simple tools like that. So, um, so, so yeah, uh, there, I could just go about this forever, but, yeah. but those are, that, those are some of the things that, that inspired me. Mm. So did you see an OT yourself? In those of course not. No, 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 never refers to, it's so crazy, but yeah, I shouldn't say we're crazy, but I did, I had to ask my um, rheumatologist for a referral to occupational therapy when my son was was born. Um, he was about a year old. He was really big baby. And then was starting to hurt my wrist to hold, hold him. Even though, of course I know as an OT about ergonomics, you know, I was so, I, I was struggling at that point, you know, mentally to just like cope with everything. And, and I couldn't remember, remember any of my strategies from ergonomics. So, um, I, I got a splint, but yeah, no. And I've, I've done a lot of education to rheumatologists and I have to say rheumatologists who are the doctor specialists that, that diagnose and treat these conditions. They're some of the most, you know, um, they're, they tend to be, you know, nerdy, like really, um, excited, like passionate providers as well. And they are like, when I tell them about the occupational therapy scope, they're really excited. And there is a, in the U S there's an association called the association or American College of Rheumatology, that's like the National Association for the Doctors that are rheumatologists. And they have a sister organization, ARP, uh, Association of Rheumatology Professionals for Allied Health Providers, including OTs. The president of that right now is actually an occupational therapist. So there are occupational therapists trying to get our presence bigger in the rheumatic disease and autoimmune space. So, I mean, if anyone's listening and you're like, ooh, business idea, like, please, this population needs to be served. I actually even did a little qualitative research analysis on um, the social media discussions I had seen on, on public groups and I've related them back to the OT practice framework. And all the patients are talking about and, and going on social media to talk about are two things. One is mental health. So they're saying, I feel alone. No one understands me. Um, you got, This group is the only place where I feel heard. And then, which is, there's, that's always going to happen. And that's important to have patient groups for that, but there's also a need for professional guidance, right? And then there's IADLs, instrumental activities of daily living. So most patients are doing okay enough on the ADLs, but we're really missing the IADLs. So they're going online to just to talk to others, to figure out like, how do I scoop my kitty litter? How do I walk my dog? How do I take care of my toddler? How do I get them in and out of the car seat? Like, how do I manage my work? And my and manage my health. It's too much. I can't figure this all out on my own. So then you got the IADLs blend into the mental health. So mm. um, yeah, so that's it's really a great opportunity for occupational therapists to really work from our unique, distinct value, right? Our distinct value is not making a splint. I'm sorry, but it's just not like that's. It's really important to make a splint, but that's not the distinct value for a real true occupational therapy is it's important the splint that that hand therapist made me is has really helped enable my participation but that's one piece of it we have to you can't just give someone a splint you have to also give them comprehensive care well if I ruled the world that's what they would do <laughs> <laughs> well let's dive into that a little bit more for the OTs who are listening now who are working with patients who have chronic conditions mm -hmm. how can we really 
zoom out and really take this holistic approach to care? How can we address the mind, the body and the spirit when we're working with clients? And how can we ensure that we're really taking this client-centered approach to our interventions? Like what have you found to be most beneficial? And what do you find that patients are saying that really yep. helps on their life journey because we do need to we need to be addressing all of this otherwise it's very fragmented care and it's just a little piece of their life so yeah yeah yeah. I love this question and I think it's honestly the most simple but yet elegant way to do it is to just start by asking the patient to walk you through a day in their life and how they're where their symptoms or their challenges arise. So it could be as simple as, okay, you know, we know sleep is really important, but maybe we'll start with waking. We'll start with waking in the morning and end with sleeping at night. So um, you wake up and one of the hallmark symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis, if not perfectly well controlled is um, morning stiffness. So stiffness after inactivity or rest. So okay, let's do some education on all the different tips and tricks. You can do warmth, hot pack, take a warm shower. You can um, use a paraffin or wax bath. You know, there's so many things. Again, a lot of patients, they just have to go sort through all this on their own and read like random articles online to discover this. So walking them through, guiding them, you know, what pillow might help them if they're, if they're having a hard time feeling comfortable when they're sleeping. And then figuring out throughout their day, you know, meal prep, like it's literally just all the OT scope, right? Just like, okay, meal preparation. And then where can we sprinkle in interventions like for energy conservation and fatigue? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And even with that, so looking at the physical component, but we could also be asking how that's affecting how they're feeling, you know, like when, yes. when you wake up and your joints are sore, like, how are you feeling and how is that yes. impacting your day? Because sometimes that can be the biggest barrier is their feelings and then their thoughts and then their behaviors that, that transcend from that. So, so, then, so true. And I had that actually how that happens a lot when it comes to exercise and movement, so because there's a fear of movement that can happen when you live in chronic pain, whether that pain is from arthritis or something else. And so, yeah, edu like educating patients to not be or helping them understand that they don't have to be fearful about movement, that we could start really slow if they, you know, there's evidence that, you know, a walking routine for even like 20 minutes a day if you can tolerate that, that's so beneficial for pain and fatigue for rheumatoid arthritis. But then, but you, again, like you're saying, you have to address the, the emotional element. I was just talking with a patient who similar to me had a really hardcore athletic background and it made her really sad to think about like, is that my life now? Is my goal 20 minutes? And I remember thinking the same about myself. Like I've gone from running a mile in like less than six minutes to like, I can barely get out of bed to like drive myself to an appointment. Like, and it's really, it's hard. It's heavy to, to have to adjust to that, your new normal, you know? So being there, like you said, being a partner to them, witnessing that and validating it, just validating the struggle. Unfortunately, because of the medical gaslighting, that can happen with a lot of patients, we sometimes end up gaslighting ourselves. Do you know what I mean? And saying like having a voice in our head, I, I'm speaking from my own experience saying, it's not really that bad. You're not really that sick. Other people have it worse than you. Like, um, and that there's actually, I was also talking just side note, but it's important, I think, talking to some, um, a group that I'm facilitating right now, um, like kind of a group education um, session that, that they were talking about their own realizing their own internalized ableism when it comes to using a decisive device. So one of the members was talking about how she finally got the courage to, to use a cane and how much it helped and how relieved she felt, but she was so scared to use it the first time. And the other members were talking about, yeah, I've been really scared to use any sort of mobility aid. Like I go to the grocery store and I really want to use the scooter because of my severe developing like fatigue, but I'm worried because I don't look sick and because I'm young, someone's going to look at me. So it's like, as, a, as an occupational therapist, if we just say like, you need to conserve your energy by using a mobility device, 
that's not going to fly because we need to address the psychosocial like barrier. The barrier might not be lack of knowledge that a scooter is helpful. <laughs> a motorized scooter is helpful. The barrier is unwillingness to use it because of the psychosocial ramifications, not only from society, but from your own self, from your own negative prejudice you've held since a child about what it means to be able-bodied and what it means to be healthy. And that, cause it's, it, it forces you, and this is what some of the group members were saying just on Saturday, it forces you to, to actually admit that you really have the condition. And it's that there's this really um, strong force of denial that humans like, you know, and denial kind of makes us feel comfortable. And so saying it's not that bad, that kind of that gaslighting to our own selves can turn it into like, um, this self-protective, it's not really that bad. I'm not, I'm not, at least I'm not in a wheelchair. I've heard a lot of other patients say that. And that's, that's ableist itself, right? To say like being in a wheelchair would be like the most horrible thing in existence, you know, but what they're saying is like, they're saying like, I'm, they're tr trying to talk themselves into, it's not that bad. And that, uh, that doesn't allow them to actually validate their own experience. So it's very, it's very complicated. Like it's, it's not, complex. yeah. And I was even thinking then when you were talking that this also weaves into the spiritual because when, say for example, you were saying um, that person who couldn't run anymore, you know, yeah. it can't do the things that you used to be able to do, those meaningful occupations, you start to ask the questions, well, who am I? Who am I now? And mm -hmm. the whole meaning of life, you know, can really do a whole 180. You, you really question who you are and what you're meant to do. Oh, that is so, so true. And I mean, I have um, someone I'm, I'm helping right now who, you know, she's a physical therapist and, you know, it's like you've worked so hard for this career and now it might not be possible to look the way that you had hoped and dreamed. Um, it's, it's huge. And so, yeah, one of my big soapboxes that obviously I think we're showing through this conversation, like they always say with good writing show, don't tell, you know, but I'll just tell for those of you who haven't gotten it is, you know, arthritis was so much more than joint pain, you know, and people with all forms of arthritis, which is not, arthritis is not a diagnosis. It's, it's a, like arthritis just means joint inflammation. So it could be from multiple things. It could be from osteoarthritis, which is the most prevalent, you know, wear and tear or rheumatoid or others. But um, it, it, people who have arthritis are at much higher risk of depression and anxiety than the general population. So that's just really important to keep in mind. And, and earlier you mentioned, you know, examining the relationship between like thoughts, behavior, thoughts, beliefs, and emotions and behaviors. And that reminded me of, you know, CBT. And the other approach I think is so essential for occupational therapists that are um, serving any clients in pain is ACT, which is acceptance and commitment therapy. And um, there's actually a really wonderful Australian psychologist, Dr. Russ Harris, who has written some of my favorite books about ACT. But ACT is very congruent with occupational therapy. It is considered like the third wave of CBT. So it's like, it's derived from CBT, which is cognitive behavior therapy, but it's more mindfulness based, which I find super, super useful. So um, with ACT to break down the words. <laughs> so uh, the, the A stands for acceptance, but it doesn't mean like, oh, I just resign myself to my fate. I just accept that things are always gonna be as they are. The acceptance means um, connecting with the present moment exactly as it is right now. It may get better in the future. It may get worse. That's unknowable. But what is being able to connect with like my body exactly as it is right now, that was really hard for me when I first learned it from my therapist um, because I didn't want to connect to my body because I felt the pain whenever I connected to my body. Like bring your awareness, you know, all these body scans are supposed to be relaxing. Like bring your awareness to your foot. I'm like, oh, well now I'm aware that my foot hurts. But it is the pain is the kind of thing where you can run, but you can't hide like you. It actually is so unintuitive, but the, it, I have become less bothered by my pain through feeling it. it. I can't explain it. It's the it's but there's a lot of evidence for act. So but the A is that that's, that's just step one. And then the CT is like commitment therapy. And that means like committing to meaningful action 
um, according to your values. I mean, like how OT is this? Right? Like, that's <laughs> I was like- reading up on it because it, this is new to me. And I thought this is really interesting. And I thought I might even read a quote that you've put on your website from, is it Russ? Uh, yeah, Russ Harris. Yeah. And I was just thinking, oh my gosh, OT alert. So it says, I'll read it. It says, in ACT, acceptance always comes first. First, you make room for your feelings and allow them to be exactly as they are. Then you ask, what can I do right now that is truly meaningful or important? This is very different from asking, how can I feel better? Then once you've identified an activity you truly value, go ahead and take action. And I was just like, wow. Is this OT framework or what? <laughs> it totally. And actually I'm such a nerd. And again, as mentioned earlier, I have no shame. I emailed, I happen to know her, Dr. Virginia Stoffel, who's the past president of AOTA. And she's the editor of the, the textbook Ment- OT and mental health, a vision for participation. And I said, you know, Dr. Ginny, why, why are OTs not taught act acceptance and commitment therapy? I told her about it and, I was, and she's like, you know what? We'll, we'll put it in the next version. You can you can edit the chapter. And I was like, oh, yes, <laughs> like a dream come true. But it's wow. really just a little bit of a, it just shows a little bit of a disconnect between like psychology and counseling and OT. This There's no reason that OTs shouldn't have already known. It's just, it just happens sometimes, right? Um, but it's so congruent. And I think that it's, it's a huge, huge mind shift. I can't emphasize this enough. It is not about fixing or curing or healing net directly it indirectly can do that but directly you can't make it your goal to feel better in the moment or to change your feeling about what's going on so i it but what's it's just so it's been so profound that only after really connecting to what i've i've gone through and what i feel in the moment have I been able to come out the other side? It's really like the only way out is through, but you can't like make through your goal. You have to make present your goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, and this is something that it's, again, if it's unintuitive to you, you're not alone because it was very, it, it resonated to me. The part about taking action towards your values like made perfect sense. And that's like very straightforward. But the part where you're supposed to just like not fix things and just be, it's like mindfulness, right? But I'm like kind of person, I'm like, yeah, but just tell me how to make it better. <laughs> like, yeah. How do you? So how, so how yeah. would occupational okay. therapists then work with clients using this approach? What would that look like? Yeah. So one of the things that you, there, the thing that I love about ACT is that it's very um, metaphor based and it's can be really good for visual learners. So I'll give you an example. Um, what you, here's one of the metaphors that's classic in, in ACT is that you're driving a bus and the the bus is driving, you're going, you have a direction or a goal that you've decided. Like for me, that goal is like um, meaningful relationships with my family. And then, so you're going to have these passengers on your bus. And those are like your thoughts and feelings about you. <laughs> so as you're going towards your, your goal, um, or maybe let's just, let's make the goal the entrepreneur because that'll be a little bit easier. I want to run an online business for patient education. So that's my goal. And that's where I'm going in my bus. And um, I'm the driver. And these passengers are all these little people that are saying things to me. They could be positive, like, good job, Cheryl, like good idea. People are going to be happy that you helped them. And then there's the other passengers that are like, you're going to fail. Like, who are you? You know, you're just an imposter. Like you haven't even worked in an ortho clinic. Who are you to say that you can go, you know, help people with arthritis? Like you probably couldn't make a splint right now if your life depended on it, you know? And, um, you know, the things like, um, you're going to fail, you're not good enough. No one cares. And so those are what, what, what you do in this case, in this mental exercise, and you can have people write it down, like, what are your passengers saying to you? You can do it as like a written, written exercise. And then you say, okay, do, do you have to treat each one of those thoughts 
as if like, do you have to listen to them? Because the thoughts are also going to say things like, get off the road. You're going too fast. Like you can't keep up with this or you're going too slow, speed up or, oh, take that detour. You should actually go over there. You shouldn't help people with arthritis. You should help people with something else or you should you should go back to school and become a psychologist. All these other, these are all thoughts I've actually had, you know? And so um, like, and say, you know, what you get to do is say, you know, a lot of times the way we, we treat our thoughts is like, um, we listen to them like and we do what the thoughts are telling us to do we say we stop or we turn off the road and the thing about act it's not about muting those voices or telling them that they're wrong what dr russ harris says is you know you turn it's about turning off the struggle switch and the struggle switch is your struggle with those thoughts and feelings you don't you don't even like get you just say there you are i just i'm noticing you you're on this bus but i'm still driving like i'm driving where i want to go you're not going to derail me. So that is an exercise um, that's in this umbrella of, uh, of approach called defusion, cognitive defusion. And it's one word, but it's spelled like D-E-F-U-S-I-O-N. And it's meant to help you get unstuck from your thoughts. So again, it's not about whether they're, they're true or real or, or wrong or right. It's about um, not fusing to them. And one of the other quick things you can do is literally say, um, it, it's, it's, it's a way of distancing yourself from your thoughts. You can just say, I'm having the thought. Have you ever heard that exercise where you say, instead of just saying like, I'm not good enough, you say, I'm having the thought that I'm not good enough. Mm. And then you, and then you add another layer of noticing. I'm noticing I'm having the thought that I'm not good enough. And that's a profound exercise all right there that already unhooks you or defuses you from that thought. Cause it reminds you it's a thought. So it's actually like a very metacognition-based um, uh, approach. So interesting. How long did it take you to really understand this and to break free of your own self-judgment and own self-criticism? Yeah, and and it's not even like it. What what's amazing is that you don't even have to even think of it as like breaking free. It's just it's real it's not giving those thoughts power over you anymore because i have negative thoughts all the time i i, re, I actually became almost more aware after do, learning act about how many different thoughts i have all the time because <laughs> it's, like, it's a it's a it's a thinking about thinking uh, mm -hmm. initially intervention so then i'm like oh my gosh like i have all these little stories it, it's a, it, again one another metaphor is a story oh there i go again there's that story that, you know, the story that I can't finish all the projects I started yeah. <laughs> or the story of I took on too much and now I'm burning out and I can't fulfill every, all my commitments, you know, and it's, it's just recognizing, oh, there's that story that like, catching it. yeah, just catching it. And then just saying, there it is. You're allowed. Like I'm allowing you to be here. Um, another example is that I actually had released, I got in a car accident in 2016. I had, I developed really severe claustrophobia after that. So this is just another example in case what I was talking mm -hmm. about didn't resonate. And so that, um, <clears throat> this was part of my exposure therapy that I went through for claustrophobia. So I would like go into an elevator and I would have to, um, so the exposure therapy was like getting into the elevator, right? And like having to experientially um, be in there, but also just actually connecting to my thoughts in that elevator and saying, oh, I'm, I'm having the thought that I can't get out. I'm having the thought that I'm stuck. And before what I was using was like what they call, what in ACT they call control strategies, like control strategies where you try to control your thoughts or you try to deescalate yourself. Oh, take a deep breath. Tell yourself it's going to be okay. You know, you're not really stuck. Or if the elevator gets stuck, you know that you could call them. Like, but actually those, those sound really intuitive. Like those, um, strategies that like sound really nice and comforting and if they work for you that's that works you don't have to use <laughs> act or exposure therapy if you don't need to but in it helps with people who for whom those traditional methods don't work um and my therapist is like actually an extreme like ocd expert um and he i don't have ocd but my phobia was presenting similar because it's anxiety based just like ocd and so what he said is like you know, people with OCD, they know that it's a distortion. Like they don't need you to say that, like, you don't need to wash your hands. They know they, they just need help, like unhooking from that thought. 
you know, and that, and so um, being able to say, like, I was so afraid of confronting that thought that I'm stuck. I'm stuck. That was really my core thought. I don't want to be stuck. And if, I, if I'm here, I can't get out if I'm stuck in an elevator or an airplane or something else. And, and it actually ended up in, in my mind, metaphorically also being about being stuck in my own body. Like when you have a lot of pain, sometimes you can feel stuck in your body. But then if you just at least distancing yourself from it a little bit by saying like, I'm having the thought that I'm stuck. I'm noticing I'm having the thought that I'm stuck. It reminded me that it's a thought. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so that was, that's just another example. Um, and, but it was had to be paired with the actual experience of, you know, and reminding myself, okay, when I'm, when I wasn't in the exposure, I had to remind myself I'm doing this because I value being able to move through my environment without extreme, you know, amounts of anxiety and panic when I'm in any small space, you know? Um, so like reminding myself of my values, cause I actually was at the point where I had a hard time getting on airplanes and travel was really important to me. Like I've, you know, I've traveled all around the U S to go to conferences. You know, I want to go to the world conference in 2022, if it's still happening, you know, but if I can't get on an airplane, it's like, it's like a great analogy, but like, but literally true. Like I have to get onto the thing that scares me in order to get where I want to go in my life. So that was another example. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's great. And I think it is such a challenge these days for any of us with a chronic condition or without a chronic condition to really connect with the present moment. We are just always, you know, forward thinking, there's so much going on and to really just take the time and space to notice and catch those thoughts and just to be present with what's going on right now and really take it back to OT, like sensation-wise, like what can we hear? What can we smell? What can we feel? All those things that we learn, sometimes we need to be the OT for ourselves Um, but also realizing that this is something that can have a profound impact on someone else. And really occupation comes back to the present moment. Occupations are performed in the present moment. So if people can be more present performing their meaningful occupations, this is going to have a profound impact, not only on their life, but on their relationships and this big ripple effect out to, you know, their community, the world, the planet, you know. And so I think just being able to notice our thoughts, like if we all start with us and plant that seed with our clients as well, it can just have this, yeah, massive, massive ripple effect. I love what a big picture thinker you are. It just, (laughs) it's so great. And, And yeah, I think as you were saying that, it reminded me that, being yeah being in the present is particularly hard for newly diagnosed patients right or people with chronic conditions because what most people the story they're telling themselves after their diagnosis is how do I get back to my my old normal like I want to get back to my old self I need to figure out what's the key what's the secret to getting I, I need this to go away like I need this disease to go away so I can just live my life how I used to be. And, um, and so what my therapist taught me is, yeah, a lot of my anxiety was about the future. So I'd be thinking things like I thought had this repetitive thought over when my son was little, um, cause we always thought we we're going to have multiple children, um, like two, not like too many, but you know, um, we have one now. And I, I was like, how am I going to do this again? How am I going to have another baby? This was so hard just having one. How am I going to do it again? And she even said, this is before we decided that because of my health issues at the time, we didn't pursue having another like biological child and, um, or even adopting because a lot of the, it, it, the challenges would still be there. It's not just a pregnancy. And actually the pregnancy was the best part for me because I went into remission during pregnancy. It's just the physical and emotional emotional and kind of demands of parenting a young child that were super hard for me. But my therapist was like, you know, you're spending so much time worrying about the future. You're, it's really like, what is that thing? Like worry robs the present of its joy and something like that. Like she was like, you don't even know what's going to happen in the future. You might not have another baby. And it's so funny. I'm like, you were a very prescient therapist because um, I had two different therapists. The one was the OCD specialist. And then she, the one previous was my psychologist who helped me with like postpartum issues. And, um, and so the, the point of that is just to say that like a lot of patients, they're so fixated on the future, like how, and not like a far off future, but usually like a close, like if I can just figure this out, if I can just do the diet or do the pill. And I will say, I know, I know that 
in your podcast, there's like, a, um, I think it's amazing. Like you're emphasizing holistic strategies and I want to just point or awareness to there can be a little bit of a dark side of that in the, in people taking their wellness efforts too far. And I know that you're aware of this, but I'm just saying for, you know, um, I was just talking to somebody who had been diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis three years ago, and she was, became so fixated on only eating clean and like fixated on the autoimmune protocol diet. She became actually highly anxious about food and was restricting her food too much and almost became like orthorexic. And that's just one example. It doesn't mean that everyone is, but it's something to be aware of that like, um, fixating on finding a, he a healing path or a cure is, is in a way it's, it's, I mean, it's complicated, right? Because your hope is that in doing these proactive strategies now, you're buying yourself a more comfortable future, right? But if your whole life could become about that, like if you're not careful, it could become about finding the perfect diet and eating the perfect food that's going to make your disease go away when you could be choosing to spend that energy on what can I still do? Even if my rheumatoid arthritis is moderate, you know, I have some pain, but what could I still do in my life? Rather than saying my life has to all completely be on hold until I can cure or heal my disease. That's just something like, I think people, it benefits patients to just be aware that they're even making that choice because it seems so logical to a lot of people, they just default into that. Well, obviously I'm gonna try, do you know what I'm saying? Like try to heal it or cure it because that will buy, if it works, it'll make it go away. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't necessarily work. So it's very complicated. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so I think with our holistic, and when I, when I talk about holistic, I believe holistic means whole. So I, I don't yeah. necessarily believe and I think it's really been caught up in the whole complementary and alternative mm. health approaches um, or integrative approaches. Whereas I believe holistic means whole. So it means looking at the whole person. It means looking at their mind, their body, mm. their spirit in the context of their social and physical environment and how that shapes their life flow. And I think so often when we hear the word holistic, we think, yeah, you know, oh, complementary integrative approaches and we're only focused on natural alternatives and we're not going to look at medication. I believe in supporting the client on their life journey and really, and it's really difficult, but trying to detach from our own lens and our own belief systems and, and not detaching from it, but just putting it on hold for a moment so we can take that opportunity and the privilege to have a look through another person's lens and see how they're looking at their own life because at the end of the day you know our patients and our clients they are the experts on their own life and they know their life and what might work for them and what's not going to work for them better than anyone else so I really feel that um, yeah taking this quote-unquote holistic approach is just about understanding and digging deep into another person's belief systems um, and seeing life through their lens. I love that. And yeah, thank you for like helping redefine holistic to me. Cause I did realize through listening to your definition, I had kind of conflated it in my mind with like always meaning alternative, but you're right. Holistic is whole. And of course we became OTs to treat the whole or to support. I don't even like the word treat sometimes just the support the whole person in their whole life context. So that totally makes sense. I just, I just wanted to bring awareness to that because um, there can be this idea that, yeah, that um, I have to try it all. There can be a fixation on the extremes of either end, right? Of like, I have to, it could be about fixating on exercise. It could be about fixating, you know, when we become fixated on any sort of um, health promotion behavior, it can turn into something that is actually adding more stress mm. to, to our, to our lives, you know? So, um, so, yeah. so yeah, 100%. but no being, yeah. Oh yeah. It's so, it's so great. So that I'm just so grateful. I can help, you know, shine a light on this. Yeah. The, the holistic needs of people with rheumatoid arthritis. Cause yeah, it's just, uh, and, and people with autoimmune diseases in, in general, because, yeah. I mean, a lot of us just need someone who sees our whole self, doesn't just see us as like 
blood work or, you know, this mm-hmm. joint here, that joint there, that holistic lens is so important. Mm. And so are you working with any clients one-on-one or are you just mainly focused on um, this education that you're providing yeah. through social media and through your platform? Yeah. So I set up the back end of arthritis life so I could have two different little arms. Like one is for direct patient care and then one is for education. Um, So providing patient education um, to people, not as an occupational therapy intervention, but just as an overall public, I think of it as almost like public health education, but I have it. I'm actually still in the process of getting the nuts and bolts for the one-on-one. So, um, I haven't done much of that yet, but I have taken some of the courses like the USC lifestyle redesign and the chronic, um, there's a non-provider course that I took called Um, chronic disease self-management program. And so I'm really just excited to actually delve more into that one-on-one. But right now I run um, online education programs that still touch on those same topics of self-management. You know, like um, I divide, I I have this acronym that I developed called, um, or the framework called Thrive. It's Room to Thrive. So room like (laughs) R-H-E-U-M and like room, you know, for rheumatic disease. (laughs) I love it. But yeah, Thrive is like T is tools for pain and fatigue. H is healthy habits. R is relationships. That's the social. I is inner world. That's like the mental health. And then V is valued activities. That's connecting to our values and hobbies. And then E is a little bit, seems a little random, but that's executive functioning. And that's like these management skills of managing being a patient. And so, and the idea is like that you can thrive despite your condition and learn by learning these, these tools. So it's been really, really amazing that even without doing um, direct OT, like, you know, evaluation and treatment plan with people, just giving them these tools from an educational standpoint, and then, you know, supporting them, um, as they have questions and stuff like that. And I, I run a little, um, so it's, I call it like an education and support group and it, it meets once a week and the, it's just an opportunity for people to ask questions about the material that that's in the thrive framework. And they, um, and it's, it always, every time it ends up being, yeah, it's not about, Oh, what tools do we need for pain? Even though it might start with that, you know, Oh, do I need a compression gloves or should I do this? It always ends up being, the mental and uh, mental health and emotional, social side, you know, how do I explain this to my friends and family? My parents don't get it. My partner doesn't get it. You know, how do I explain this to my child? You know, um, it, and so it's, it's, it's um, been really great to be able to support people through that. And it's, and it's hard. It's, it's hard for me to have boundaries, you know, so I'm learning about that or I'm working on that work in progress. So it's <laughs> oh, forever. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I know if you're this like, yeah, yeah. Right. It's, it's funny because I went into pediatrics initially because I was like, I want to, I don't want to go into arthritis um, as OT because I worried that it would be triggering for me, like emotionally to be like, you know, to, uh, I thought it would be really stressful. And then of course I still had a hard time with boundaries with my pediatric clients. (laughs) So I think it's the inner work that has to be done um, for those of us who have that kind of, uh, what do they call it? Like being like an empath, you know, being yes, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. overly empathetic. And I think but... a lot of OTs are, I think that's yeah, but you quality. Know, yeah. And I think actually that's another application of ACT or acceptance and commitment therapy. It's like, I've realized that like, I, I, uh, or that one of the things that it's reinforced, it's so simple, but, but important is that, you know, I can't control anyone else I can't control my own thoughts or emotions they're just internal phenomena phenomena that just occur and in the same way I'm not responsible for anyone else's thoughts or emotions like I can provide them tools but at the end of the day it's their job to use them and it's actually really helped my own um, mental health with respect to getting so attached to the outcomes Mm -hmm. you know getting attached to whether something when seeing my role as fixing people you know, or fixing their, their problems and putting this extra pressure on myself. Whereas now it's like, you know, I'm giving you again, the tools and you're responsible for, for mm-hmm. using them or not. And, and, and yeah, just freeing your, it's like almost like freeing yourself from the burden of having to fix everything. I guess mm-hmm. I just kind of, it's almost like a weird, like delusion of grandeur. At one point, my therapist was like, 
do you actually think that you, Cheryl Crow, are supposed to solve like everyone's problem all the time? You know, like, I'm like, well, when you put it that way, like, who are you to think that you have all the solutions? If you have all solutions, you wouldn't be in my office right now. No. Yeah. No, but it's so true. And I think so often we put this expert hat on and we feel like I remember as oh, for, for so long over my career, I felt like I needed to almost walk into a session with all the answers pre-planned, everything ready to go and have a solution for every single problem. And now I've realized to take so much more space. I'm so much more open. And it's funny how it works because my sessions are so much better because they're usually client directed and they come up with the most brilliant ideas and I learn from them. And I think this is what we have in common as OTs is that we love, like we love people watching and we love learning from other people. And really it's through the lived experience. And you probably know from your own personal experience that through your own lived experience is where you are probably teaching a lot of the things that you know, because that is so much more valuable than a textbook, right? You were going to oh, learn so much totally. more through actually experiencing it than what I could through a textbook learning about RA. So mm -hmm. yeah, it really is just, again, coming back to this ability to listen, to understand, to validate and mm -hmm. that client centered approach. Yeah, absolutely. You said it, you said it perfectly. And I think, I think new grads in particular or students really could benefit from that. Cause I do think that the being in school kind of reinforces this idea that you're supposed to have like the plan or the perfect. Mm -hmm. And of course you have to start with an accurate kind of, you know, you have to prove that you can kind of somewhat accurately get a session together, I guess, but to free yourself from the burden of, of perfection is, and um, there's, there is no perfection. There's no perfect way to do a session. Um, you know, and I, and, I love and what, that. Yeah. And what we might think as the quote unquote perfect session is not the perfect session for the client. So <sighs> there's so, there's so many underlying complexities to it. And I think just being open and like you said, quote unquote, free yourself from the burden of perfection. I love that. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. We might leave everyone with that. And I think it's time to head. We've got three rapid fire questions that I'd love to right. ask you. The first one is in one sentence, how would you describe OT? Occupational therapists help you improve your quality of life. Oh, did I say quality of life? Oh no, I'm like, I'm getting like anxious. Okay, let me start again. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, okay take sorry. a deep breath. So so when you think of yeah, occupational therapy, no. what what does it mean to you? How do you describe it to other people? Or yeah. no, I know I'm I just I'm 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 shaming myself. See, I'm having thoughts. My passengers on my bus are shaming myself. I'm like, after all these years, you still don't have your elevator speech perfected. Um, no, I I say that we help you improve your quality of life through walking you just through a day in your life and figuring out all the tips and tricks that you can do to not only you know reduce pain in the case of arthritis but also improve your your mental well-being so i sometimes call it just like life skills through the lifespan i just think mm. that that has a nice mm. ring to it too but um i those are the two kind of things i say really about um life skills in your specific life context yes 100 percent, love it <laughs> number two what's one healthy lifestyle habit listeners can implement today well if you like dancing i don't want to make you dance if you don't enjoy it but dancing is the best like incidental exercise i ever get i love dancing and it's good for my mental well-being and physical <laughs> yeah well, i definitely see that coming through on all your videos yeah tiktok has been great for that it inspires me to dance <laughs> Number three, if you could only offer one piece of advice to OTs, what would it be? Oh, not to be redundant, but I would actually yeah, work on yourself and in, in terms of, um, and I would honestly, I would read the happiness trap by Dr. Russ Harris. I'm not, I mean, I recommend that to everyone, but, and learn about acceptance and commitment therapy, because it's going to help you be a better clinician, but it's also going to help you develop self-compassion is part of it too. I meant to say earlier, you know, like that, that you, that you can be compassionate about the self that is having those thoughts. Like I'm, 
I'm no, I'm noticing I'm having the thought that I'm, I'm a failure. And like, I give, I'm going to give myself compassion at that moment. That can be such a helpful skill uh, as a therapist and to help you bring you into the present moment in your sessions so that you're not thinking, oh no, you know, this isn't going well or getting wrapped up, caught up in those thoughts and struggling with them. So, um, so I think that, I think that would have to be it. Mm, I love it. Awesome. Thank <laughs> you so much, Cheryl. Where Thank can everyone you. find out more about, I mean, you're on every platform. What's I know. Your, what's your, <laughs> where are okay, you at? Well, all the experts say, just pick one platform. I didn't listen to any of them. And not only do I have all the platforms, I also have different names on every single platform. So I'll have to give you my list, but my most, the ones that I am most active on are Instagram where it's arthritis underscore life underscore Cheryl c-h-e-r-y-l and i'm also on um facebook um and my business page there is just um facebook.com slash arthritis life cheryl not no underscores <laughs> and then um and and i also have a website that you can get to through, through going to um, www.myarthritislife.net that routes you to my website but but yeah, and I do, I actually really enjoy social media, but I do have, to, I do struggle with, with stopping it, you know, having like, okay, I need to engage in real life right now for a minute. But um, yeah, I'm on TikTok on arthritis life as well. Awesome. <laughs> Those Thank are the three. Yeah. So much. Well, I have definitely enjoyed following all your little dances and TikToks and everything because oh you put gosh. them on Instagram as well. Um, yes. And I love and, your you know, stories. It's educational, you know, it's yeah. educational but yes. in a fun way. It's fun education. And that's what I love about it. And that's what obviously other people around the world are loving about it too, because you've got a lot of followers. So. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's honestly been one of the most fulfilling things is to take some of my, you know, um, clinical knowledge and just translate it into fun videos. Cause I will say a lot of patients, whatever your niche is, whatever the client population you're serving, a lot of um, videos that are about like simple life hacks or solving little problems from the OT perspective. Um, you know, how to make someone the other day put one, like how to make a button hook out of like a popsicle stick and a paper clip and hot glue, you know, just help showing those simple life hacks and can be so helpful. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it helps you feel better about your skills and knowledge to see people in the general public having such a positive response and you will get trolls you will and that's okay too trolls are people who say negative things like someone yeah. was like why are you use a jar opener are you weak so mm. someone said mm -hmm. one of the videos mm -hmm. and i'm like okay you can think that you know whatever yeah but yeah no thank you skin. yeah i love seeing your instagram stories because it's always like rainy and drizzly in seattle and then it's like i look on your story and you're like frolicking on the beach and i'm like oh my gosh i want to go visit her oh well you're welcome anytime but i must say it winter here does get cold oh okay <laughs> so there's not as much beach action but i am hoping to like wim hof it and like do cold water oh. therapy and just like get into the ocean anyway but oh, i'm such joy. a creature of comfort it's very difficult for me to do that that sounds really difficult. <laughs> Best of luck to you. I will support you. I will not be trying that technique, but, but, yeah. but I'll see you in summer. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yay. Thank awesome. you. Thanks so much, Cheryl. That's it guys. I hope this episode resonated with you, but more importantly, I hope it inspires you to take action. If you hang out over on Instagram, come over and say hi. Let's connect. I'm at Rhiannon Chris, and we'd absolutely love your radiant energy in our Facebook group family. You can find us simply by searching the OT Lifestyle Movement in Facebook. If you love this episode, I'd be super grateful if you shared it. You can take a screenshot right now and share it on Instagram or Facebook so we can connect with more amazing, open-minded OTs from around the world. And if you are sharing it on Instagram, make sure you tag me at Rhiannon Chris so I can share it on my platforms as well. The more we share the OT lifestyle movement, the more we can create a ripple effect. And if you do love the podcast, please give us a five-star review so we can be found more easily. So that's it, guys. Go out, create the epic change that you seek in the world, one occupation at a time. 
Carpe diem, guys. <laughs>